So, uh, so Leo Tolstoy, he wrote a story called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Has anyone ever read that story? Okay, maybe not. So the story is about, it's about a, a peasant. The, the peasant's name is Palm. And this peasant named Palm, he convinces himself that if he just had enough land, he would lack nothing and he would have to fear no one. I mean, not even the devil himself, right? So soon this opportunity arises for him to purchase a nice piece of land. So he scrapes together every dime and he purchases the land. And soon he hears of another parcel of land. It's, it's just across the river. It's a little bit bigger. It's got better soil. So Palm sells all of his property and he sells all of his assets. And then he purchases more land on the other side of the river. And then not long after that, he's introduced to some people called the Bashkirs. And, and, and Palm was told that the Bashkirs were very sort of simple-minded people, but they own vast tracts of land. And so, so Palm goes to them. He thinks, I'm really going to work this deal. I'm going to offer you know, as low a price for as much land as I can negotiate. And, and the offer is very unusual. And here's how it works. They tell him, for a sum of 1,000 rubles... Palm can walk around as large of an area as he wants. And he starts at daybreak, and he marks the route with a, with a shovel along the way. And if he returns to the starting point by sunset that day, all the land that he walked across will be his. But if he does not make it back to the starting point, he loses the money, and he gets no land. So he bites. And so he stays out as long as possible. He's marking out a huge, enormous tract of land until just before the sun sets. And towards the end, he realizes he's very far away from the starting point. And so he starts to, to sprint. He's running as fast as he can back to the waiting Bashkirs. And he finally arrives at the starting point just as the sun sets to the horizon. And the Bashkirs are cheering his good fortune. But exhausted from the run, Palm drops dead. Look, it's a Leo Tolstoy story, okay? It's, it's, a, it's, I don't know. Look, here's how the story ends. Here's what it says. His servant picked up the shovel and dug a grave long enough for Palm to lie in and buried him in it. Six feet was all he needed. What is enough? You ever, you ever thought about that? What, what drives us to keep looking beyond what we have for something more? And when will we finally be satisfied? Can we, can we be truly satisfied? I mean, if we can, how do we find that? So let's look in God's word. Let's stand together for the reading in Mark chapter 10. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's pray. Father, we are thirsty 
And so we are leaving all other wells and we're coming to yours. Pour out your living water on us. Fill us until we are completely changed by you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you may be seated. So, so it's kind of been a bad flu season, right? How many of you know that? A f- yeah, right. A few, weeks, a few weeks back, we took Noah to the doctor and the nurse said, in all of her decades at the office, she's never seen anything like it's been this year. But even with all of the colds and the flus, there's, there's a pandemic that's going around that people are infected with. It's called affluenza. Have you heard of it? You might even have it. And, and it's likely that you've caught this silent sickness without even realizing that it happened. And the symptoms include feelings of guilt, lack of motivation, social isolation experienced by wealthy people, materialism and consumerism associated with the pursuit of wealth and success and resulting in a life of chronic dissatisfaction and debt and overwork and stress and impaired relationships. People are consumed by this idea that they don't have enough or they won't have enough. And they're working more and more and more for uh, bigger houses and better cars and, and better clothes. And hear me, look, things are neither good nor bad. It's just stuff, right? It's just things. But what is being exchanged for the stuff? Now, in some cases, there are you know, kids that, that could be with a parent are being raised by daycare workers, not out of necessity, but because some parents think that they've just got to keep buying more stuff for this kid, right? People see the newest clothes or, or the latest home decor, and they have to have it. And so people become a slave to more. And we see the symptoms all around us, don't we? Guilty, unmotivated, isolated, endlessly consuming, but never satisfied, drowning in debt, stressed, relationships in trouble. And so I've been thinking about this question. What is enough? How many of you have heard of a TV show called Hoarders? Okay, all right. (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny that Kirsten uh, has been binge-watching the show on Netflix. I, it's, thank you. See, it's the house of God. Love rejoices in the truth. The show is about people who can't throw stuff away. And they keep accumulating things. They keep buying things, but never giving them away and, and, and never doing anything with them. And, and their home gets to this place where it's completely unsanitary. And there's, you know, on one episode, there's this one lonely, isolated guy. And, and he confesses on the show that he keeps buying things, ordering things online Because every time a package shows up at the front door, he said, it felt like I was getting a present from somebody. And so so in his house, he has stacks and stacks of boxes, and he never bothered to open them when they arrived because he got to this place that he knew that once he opened the box, the emotional high would be over. One lady on the show, in addition to all the hoarding, was keeping cats. Okay, so you can imagine the smell, right? And dead cockroaches everywhere. I mean, in fact, she started collecting those in jars. Yeah, jars of dead cockroaches, okay? All right. (laughs) Are we having fun tonight? Okay, yes. 
So black mold and rotting food and hoarders stuffing their homes with things until it's worse than a prison. It's like a cave where they can barely move from one spot, you know, like a little piece of the side of the bed. Maybe they can get to a chair or to a toilet. And the inevitable casualty of hoarding is what? It's the relationships. Because the family members, they come to a place where they refuse to come over. Because literally there's nowhere to stand or sit or relax. And if they have grandkids, it's been years since they've seen them. In some cases, because there's, you know, there's no way that's a safe environment for a child, for anybody. And jammed into, on one of these episodes, jammed up into like a triple canopy layer of just junk in her home. One lady had been keeping homemade Christmas stockings for years with, you know, this intention. You know, when they come out, finally, they're starting to pry stuff out. She's like, oh, I I intended to put their names on, on them for the grandchildren. Grandchildren that she might have had a real relationship with, except for all the stuff. And all the hoarders, they have this in common. The accumulation of the garbage, it piles up and it keeps them imprisoned and isolated from real relationships. And so I imagine that you're, you know, sitting there thinking, well, you know, that, but that's not me because, you know, my house, it doesn't look like that. My apartment doesn't look like that. But what about the other parts of who you are? What about your mind? What about in your emotions? Are you hoarding some things that you should be getting rid of or that you should be giving away? But because you aren't doing that, relationships are suffering and you're starting to feel isolated and lonely. Remember, reality is rooted in the spiritual dimension. It's what is unseen that is true. And we judge falsely when we just go by what is visible, what we can see. And when we adopt the standards and the thinking of the world. Look, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you are not susceptible to getting your perspective, you know, completely backwards and upside down. The church in Laodicea, they got a wake-up call from King Jesus in Revelation chapter 3. Here's what he says. I know all the things that you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you, buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. And then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. To Jesus, being moderate and living out your faith, it's revolting. Working hard to, you know, just kind of fit in and worrying, worrying about the opinions of others is tantamount to being ashamed of Jesus. If you were out on a date with someone, right, and, they, and then they tried to hide when their friends spotted you together, what would that say about their true feelings? When we depend on our stuff, 
on our resources, on our wits, on our money, on our influence, on our abilities. We display an attitude of, I don't, I don't need you, God. I got this. I can do it myself. Be careful what you ask for. Prayerlessness, non-communication with God. It's basically telling him, I'm not interested. See, the deception of the Laodiceans was that by all the outward appearances, they were well off. They had enough of a case of affluenza to make them deluded into thinking, we're okay. But Dr. Jesus tells them the truth. They're not okay. The spiritual diagnosis was what? Wretched, poor, blind, naked. You see, those hoarders, they had so many things in common. Even though they collected, you know, different kinds of things, they never saw the stuff as garbage. And, you know, maybe at first it wasn't. I mean, you know, we go to the grocery store, we buy good food, but if you let it sit long enough, it turns into garbage, doesn't it? The stuff in their house, they, they would say, this is all extremely valuable. Maybe it was at one point, but now it's covered in rot and dirt and dust and dead cockroaches. It's garbage. And every single one of these people, they needed somebody from the outside. Some, in some cases, a team of people to come in and to help them to see what they've been holding on to. It's not only imprisoned them, it's, it's handicapped them. Because it's garbage, and it's rotting, and it's worthless, and it's affecting their health. And look, I, I know the tendency is to you know, watch a show like that, or, or to read the story about the, the wealthy ruler, and to not let it convict you because, you know, well, you know, I don't have a gold stockpile in my house, or you know, I don't have an Armageddon stash of cash at home that's you know, keeping me from real relationships. But you see, we all tend to hoard some things, don't we? Things that, you know, we think that we don't have enough of. And then we stockpile, right? And and so what do you find yourself saying that you need more of? Is it time? Is it sleep? Parents, give me an amen there. Appreciation, is is that what it is that you feel that you don't have enough of? Is it friendship? Is it strength? Is Is it free time? You see, all those things are good. They're important. They're essential to living, right? And so you find yourself, you know, taking an inventory of your life and you go, hmm, I don't have enough of whatever. And I need more time. I've got to have more time to get things done or to do the things that I want to do the way I want to do them. Or, you know, I I need more sleep. I'm tired all the time and I've got to have more. I need more appreciation. Look, nobody sees all this stuff that I'm doing for everybody else. I I just feel like I'm invisible and and that I need my family. I, I need my boss. I need my friends to acknowledge all these things that I'm doing. I need more strength. I, I need to be able to do the things that I need to do and, and resist the other things that I don't need to do or, or free time. I'm spending all day you know, just doing things for everybody else and now I, you know, I need more me time. And so then we start to stockpile these things, good things. I, you, know, you say, I, well, I, I need more sleep so I, you know, I can't have time with you, God. I don't have time for, you know, my devotions with you because I need all the sleep that I can get. I need more free time. So when the opportunity comes up to go and serve somewhere or to choose to go do something that you want to do, we hoard the free time because, you know, we just, we don't have enough. 
And so we build them up, always worried we're going we're gonna to run out. And isn't it interesting that what kept the rich young ruler from being a disciple of Jesus was not what he didn't have enough of, but what he had too much of. What was he hoarding? You see, all of these things, including money, was fine. It was good by itself. But when it became stockpiled, it turned into garbage, and it rotted, and it was worthless. Like, like the manna that God delivered to the Israelites. Do you remember this? Remember this story in Exodus? It, this is food that fell. Literally, God was feeding the people. He was dropping food on them from heaven. But what God instructed them to only take what they needed for one day, to not store it up. Because if they did, what would happen? It would rot. See, the gift from eternal God, perfect food from heaven, it has a shelf life of one day. Think about that. The greatest riches in the world rot away eventually. And even what we get from heaven, the things that we receive from him, it's got a shelf life because, you know, we're leaky vessels, right? We need to keep coming back for more from him. We need to connect with the Holy Spirit for more of his peace and more of his presence and more of his strength in our life, more self-control. But people stockpile so that they feel like, well, then I don't, you know, I don't need to keep going back. We were never meant to stockpile stuff. We were meant to have a never-ending connection with God, with the source, a connection with the abundant source of everything that we need, to have instant access. Are you exhausted? Jesus says, come to me. Whoever is weary, I will give you rest. But, but, but I, have to, I have to save up my strength. He says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you see, what this wealthy ruler had built up had kept him from experiencing a satisfying relationship to the source of all wealth, to the creator of all riches. What are you stockpiling? What are you jealously hoarding and holding on to parts of yourself that you will not spend and spend until it's empty? But you pile it up, and you pile it up, and you pile it up. And you know what it's doing? It's keeping other people out. It's keeping you away from your source and from your purpose. Because it's never enough, is it? You have to have more. You have to, you know, keep putting more money in the saving. You have to keep working all the crazy hours to accumulate the wealth. You don't have time to spend with your own family or to serve anybody else because you keep stockpiling the stuff and you never get enough sleep. I mean, you know, when was the last time you said, I can't, can't possibly sleep another minute, right? So everybody and everything else starts taking a back seat, including God, until, you know, you sleep in. And you start pushing everything off so you can have a nap. Look, we all need sleep. Nobody gets away with, you know, none of that. All of these things are good by themselves. But it's when we keep saying, it's never enough and I need more. You see, there's idol worship happening in America right now. False worship that sacrifices the money and the time and the relationships and even human beings to the false idol of more. 
people saying, well, you know, I can't have a baby right now. We'll have to just abort it. I don't have enough maturity right now. I don't have enough money right now. I don't have enough time right now for another person. Or I can't serve in the area that God has gifted me in because, you know, I won't make enough money. I I need to, you know, sleep with a boyfriend or a girlfriend because I don't have enough love. I, I need to just jump into relationship after relationship because I never get enough love. And I don't have enough because it's never enough. So thinking about this question, got me wondering, what about God? What is enough for him? You see, when God rescued the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage, he was leading them to their promised land. But in the meantime, they were all living in tents. And God basically was saying, I want to live with you. You're living in a tent. And I love you. So I'm going to live in a tent too. And so God showed Moses a plan for a tent, a a place for the Ark of the Covenant, a place where the Shekinah glory of God would come and rest among the people. And so here is everyone. They're gathered for the opening ceremony. It's in Leviticus chapter 9. It says, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. It was awesome. But notice what happens here. The entire sacrifice was consumed by fire. And what that suggests to me is that God's perfection and holiness, his divine justice was left unsatisfied because that sacrifice was not enough. All of it was consumed and still it was not enough for God because 500 years later, we see King Solomon. He's standing in this new permanent temple made by skilled craftsmen. All the highest quality materials was a place where the presence of God would come and live and the sacrifices for sin would be made. In Second Chronicles 7, it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And King Solomon delivers an amazing prayer. And it says that fire comes down from heaven. It consumes all of the sacrifices. It's an amazing display of God's presence among his people. But the sacrifices were obliterated by the holy fire of God. Completely consumed. The dead animal carcasses were not enough for God. And 200 years later, after that, on Mount Carmel, Elijah arranges the ultimate showdown, Baal versus Almighty God. And what you need to know about the idol Baal is that this was the God of unbridled greed and lust and power. And Baal was making that claim that he was the God of more than enough, that he was the God of abundance. And those who worshiped Baal did so by killing babies and committing acts of debauchery in hopes that Baal would give them more, more rain and more crops and and more animals, and more money, and more, and more. You see the result? Baal inspired a hoarder spirit, a self-centered, self-gratifying mindset in his worshipers. And so there's a showdown. And spoiler alert, Baal doesn't show up. 
But guess who does? First Kings chapter 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and it licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And God used Elijah in a powerful way to make it clear to all of God's people and to Ahab and Jezebel exactly who is the God who supplies our need. Come on, give him praise. And so Elijah organizes this competition to show once and for all who is God and who is garbage. You see, you are either worshiping God or you are worshiping garbage. Garbage is always something that at one time was useful. It had a purpose. But you see, then it also has a shelf life, doesn't it? And once that shelf life, the purpose is spent, guess what it is? It's garbage. God does not have a shelf life. He does not expire. He never runs out. But you see, but you see, Moses and Solomon's and Elijah's sacrifices, they all ran out. They weren't enough. Even Elijah pouring water all over that sacrifice until it was soaking. But the fire of divine justice that showed up on that day not only consumed the dead animal, but the water and the stones and the dirt, everything that was underneath it, all of it just vaporized in a moment of heat, demonstrating that the consuming fire of God's holiness and justice were not satisfied by these dead animals. And in spite of all the glory and the miracles that were displayed... Animal sacrifice was not enough to close the gap, to heal the rift between us and God. And that's why we see them repeated over and over again. It's why they were entirely destroyed and consumed in the process, because it was not enough for God. Our sacrifices were not enough to fix it. He needed more. And through the spirit of prophecy, King David was made to understand it when he wrote the words of Messiah in Psalm 40. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. God couldn't get excited about the sacrifices. They were were pitifully insufficient compared to what was required to absolve our sin. And earlier we were talking about this, you know, the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And you know what that rich young ruler did not realize was when he walked up to Jesus, he was meeting the richest of the rich young rulers. They say, you know, that somewhere in the world, everybody's got a twin, right? Somebody told me that I have a twin who works over at Winco. I can't wait to go over to Winco and meet my twin. It's going to be awesome. Jesus knew when this guy walked up that he was meeting a a kind of a version of himself. It says that Jesus looked at him. Imagine meeting another version of yourself, like a you, but from an, an alternate timeline that has made different choices and is on another path. And imagine that moment as you lock eyes and you see each other, and it's like you instantly know each other, but you're not walking together. You're walking in opposite directions, and you can't stay together. And the rich young ruler was looking for something. He was looking for assurance. He was looking for a a thing to satisfy the nagging feeling on the inside. He wanted life. But Jesus knew what he really needed was a person, a relationship. Jesus said, I am the life. And the ruler walked away sad because of the hoarder spirit. 
the affluenza sickness. It always kills relationships. But Jesus was the richest of rulers who gave up all wealth to find the relationship. The person that he was looking for was you. Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's there, isn't it? It's there that we finally see what is enough for God. It wasn't the rich offerings because Jesus gave up all the immeasurable wealth to come and live in poverty. It wasn't the appreciation because Jesus gave up all of the adoration of heaven to come to be despised and rejected of people. It wasn't even the food because Jesus gave up food for 40 days and nights in the wilderness led by the Spirit. He spent everything that he had and hoarded nothing for himself. He gave healing to the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hope to the outcasts. Give him praise. He gave deliverance to the demon-possessed, and he gave truth to everyone who would listen to him. Jesus gave up his reputation. Jesus gave up his own back to a whip, and he gave his ears to the shouts of the mockers, and he gave his head to a crown of thorns, and he gave his hands and his feet to nails, and he gave everything. And now here at the cross, for the first time, we see Jesus taking something. And he's taking our sin upon himself. He's taking our shame and our guilt. And he's taking the punishment that should have been ours. And Jesus is taking the blame. And what's more than that, he's taking the justice of God. Because when he went to the place of execution... All that he had was a robe. He didn't even have a living will. He hadn't you know, bought a, a burial plot. All he had was the robe, and that was gambled for by a bunch of Roman guards. He spent all of himself. But listen very carefully. Jesus wasn't spent. He spent everything, and he hoarded nothing, and he held nothing back, but he still wasn't spent. Not yet. Up until this moment, you see, the holy and divine justice of God had completely consumed every sacrifice because they had not been enough. But now, Jesus pushes through the pain and he lifts up on the nails because there's something that he wants to say that he wants you to hear. And he says, it is finished. And all the sins of the world that had been accumulated and put on him, his blood was enough to pay for all of it. The curse was undone. The relationship between God and man restored. But Jesus wasn't dead yet at that moment. His body wasn't done yet. No, he had more in him. There was more in him as he raises himself once more to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus came and spent everything, but he wasn't spent you see, his was the only sacrifice ever made that wasn't completely consumed the instant it was made. And that shows us that he is enough for you. He is more than enough. Praise God. He's more than enough. 
for all of the sins that you've ever committed or that you ever will commit or that you could possibly commit. His grace cannot be spent. His mercy cannot be extinguished. His forgiveness is never in the red. He doesn't have to give his grace, you know, in in portions or sparingly because it can't run out. Everything that you say that you don't have enough of, God is your source. God is rest. He is peace. He is love. And his wealth is beyond compare. His intense notice, his acceptance of you, it will never run dry. It will never quit because he doesn't grow tired. He doesn't need upgrades. He is enough. And you don't need to hoard. And you don't need to be miserly with parts of yourself because he has more. Because he is more. Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough to satisfy God's righteousness. But why? Why all of this extravagant giving? What is enough for God? God who formed the countless stars that fill the universe with every color and luminosity and size. I was looking up, you know, what is the biggest star that we've seen so far? And the biggest one is so big that if you got in a plane and you tried to fly around it, it would take over a thousand years. One star. But even a, a hypergiant star like that, they're just like little tiny grains of sand in the vastness of the universe that God has made. All the galaxies shining like spotlights were never enough. And God created the earth with hands big enough to hold the highest clouds and the deepest ocean depths. But this world was never enough. And so God created life in more than 8 million species in every color and shape and size and that filled the sky and filled the land and the oceans, but they would never be enough to fill his heart. You see, God was holding his breath for something more. Only when he made us did God exhale and breathe the spirit of life into us. Only then did he say, it's very good. Only when God saw you The Almighty was finally satisfied. And all the beauty that he made, only because he wanted to see the look of wonder on your face. It was you. It was you that God was dreaming of. And so he rested. Because to God, you were enough. Did you think that we, when we betrayed him, that he would go find solace in anything else in all creation? The treasures of a billion worlds would never be enough to fill his broken heart. Because when God lost you, he lost everything that he loved. And on the cross, he spent everything that he had to get you back because you were enough for him. And so I ask you tonight, Is he enough for you? Is God enough for you? Your mouth says yes. But what do your actions say? Do they agree? Why do you keep running for things that will never satisfy? Why are you looking for for the living among the dead? You keep pinning your emotional well-being and on human relationships. It's going to disappoint you. You keep scrolling and scrolling and 
swiping and pinning and liking and sharing. It's never enough. You keep going back for people's words and their actions to somehow prop up your self-esteem. And you keep driving for more and more achievement. It's never enough to satisfy you, to convince you you are significant. Trophies, promotions, medals, the commendations, they pile up, but they are not enough. And you eat and you eat, but you're not full. You're not satisfied. You keep running back into these bad relationships with, with partners or friends or family because you need more, more appreciation, more affection and love. You, you're not satisfied. And you're afraid to give up anything because you feel like you won't have enough. And you cling to what little you have, the little money or sleep or rest or free time or health, and you're hoarding it because you feel like if I give this up, it's all going to be gone. It'll all be nothing. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. When you're hungry, he doesn't have bread. He is bread. He doesn't have strength. He is strength that you need. Why do we settle for the poverty of stuff and trappings that God has? And we keep asking him, begging him for stuff. We say, God, give me some peace and patience and and money and love and friends. And we keep praying for stuff. And God wants to give you himself. He wants to pour his spirit into you and fill you with what will truly satisfy your soul. All the combined eternal wealth of all that's created would just turn into garbage eventually compared to who he is. You see, we, we hate the, those relationships with people. You know, you know those people, they just want to get close to you for something that you could do for them. You know what I'm talking about? We want, want to be with people who want us. We just want to be with people who want to be around us. Do you think God's different? No, he's the same way. He loves you not because of what you were able to give him. What could you give him? What did you think that you would do for him? He just wants you. And you are enough for him. Just you. And God is enough for you. He doesn't have healing. He is healing. He doesn't have love. He is love. He's rest and peace. And so let's all stand tonight in his presence as the worship team comes to the platform. I have something that, that I want you to hear, so just look, look up here at me. Don't look anywhere else. Why, like those angels said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You keep going out into the street, shaking down a beggar for, for, to give you something, right? What you need. It's not their fault. They don't have the resources to satisfy you. The, the approval of others will only appease you. It's like a Band-Aid. It's only going to be temporary. The affection lasts for a second. But God will give you living water. Isn't that what he said to the woman at the well? You keep coming back to the well. I have water that will satisfy you. Not, not thirsty for affection or, or approval or significance or strength, strength. Jesus says, come to me. You keep asking for stuff, but I have so much more that I want to share with you. My heart for you. I want to give that to you. Be next to me. Hear my voice. Feel my passion for you. It will be all the rest that you ever need. So I want, just want some people to start coming down right now and, and boldly lift up your hands and tell him tonight, God, you are enough for me. 
you're enough. I'm not looking to my family. I'm not looking to my boss or my friends. I'm not looking to, to others. I'm not looking to hobbies or activities. I'm not looking to anything else. I won't worship garbage. I won't try to hoard things and then lose you. I'm not going to satisfy what's forever for what's temporary. And I will spend all that I have on you. And I will never run out because you never run out. And you never fail. And you never quit.